Arms for a podcaster. If you like this show, please go to sovcast.tumblr.com. That's S-O-V-C-A-S-T dot tumblr dot com. And look for the donate button. It's right there at the top. I'll, I'll just wait here while you go do that, okay? Hello? Welcome to Sobcast. I am your host, Jeff, and I am a Sob, or Seeker of Veritas. Veritas meaning truth. This time, I've got a little more than two weeks worth of news to uh, go over because I finally went to Michigan to see my family for the first time in five years. So I'm going to forego the introducing of the segments and telling you what I'm going to talk about, and we're just going to get right into it. So, wait, what? There's good news? The Pope's Pulpit Pugilism. Pope Francis continued his week of politically charged spying with the moneyed elites, commenting on Sunday that arms manufacturers who call themselves Christians are hypocrites. At a rally of thousands in the Italian city of Turin, the Pope unshrouded his belief that those who claim to follow the teachings of Christ but also manufacture weapons leads to a bit of distrust. The Pope followed his jab by crossing speculative investors, saying, Duplicity is the currency of today. They say one thing and do another. Francis's comments come on the tail of the leak and subsequent release of his 192-page climate change encyclical on Thursday, in which he said that man-made climate change disproportionately affects the world's poor. And next, herd immunity wins over herd mentality in California. California Governor Jerry Brown just signed into law a controversial bill that will require almost all school children in the state to be vaccinated, unless they have a medical reason for opting out. The law means parents can no longer refuse to vaccinate their children for religious or philosophical reasons. The bill, SB 277, was a response to a large measles outbreak that originated at the Disneyland theme park in the state in December. Since then, more than 160 people across the United States have been diagnosed with the disease, the majority of them in California. The mandate has faced fierce opposition from anti-vaccine groups, which have been campaigning against the bill since it was introduced in February. They say a vaccine mandate is unconstitutional and overrides parents' rights to make decisions for their children. Ah, But do you really want to go back to the pre-vaccination child mortality rates, where it was just as an accepted truth that several of your children would never see their 18th birthday? I know I don't. The true aim of vaccination is what's called herd immunity, which means that the percentage of the population that is immune to a certain disease is so high that the disease has no vector to which it can affect people who can't get vaccinated due to compromised immune systems or age. Parents who choose not to vaccinate their children can still go to some private schools or engage in homeschooling. Governor Brown said he signed the bill in the interest of public health, making California the third and biggest state with such a mandate after Mississippi and West Virginia. Hashtag for every girl. Girl Scouts is hashtag for every girl. That means transgender girls, too. The Girl Scouts have always been known for being more progressive than the Boy Scouts. In fact, they've had a long-standing policy of including transgender girls who want to participate in their organization. Recently, after a donor who wants to remain anonymous asked the Girl Scouts of Western Washington to ensure the donor's $100,000 contribution would not be used to help transgender girls. Kind of an asshole. 
Now, personally, I would have informed the donor that all donations to the Girl Scouts will be used as the Girl Scouts see fit. The chapter of the national organization chose to give the money back. And in a rare case of reasonable people being rewarded for their magnanimity, in one day they made more than double the amount through an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign that's garnered support from more than 4,000 funders. The video on the Girl Scouts Indiegogo campaign stated, The Girl Scouts empowers every girl, regardless of their gender identity, social economic status, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, to make the world a better place. We won't exclude any girl. And our next story, a broken fox is left twice a day. Well, I wouldn't say twice a day. It's more like one of those clocks that also has a calendar on it. And at least once a year, it'll be July 15th. But anyways, let's have a listen. I just want to say on Twitter, I asked my viewers if the GOP should continue its fight or if it should roll with the times because, folks, America has changed since we were children and since our parents, our fathers and mothers were babies. One person wrote me this, at Dehiba Hiba writes me, American citizens should have a say in this matter and be allowed to vote on it. Let me, let me just say this, I'm a married woman. I have a married ring on my finger. I never asked anyone to, to vote whether or not I right to do this. I have a gay sister. She was the maid of honor at my wedding. I would love to be able to be at her wedding someday, and now I can. And there are so many others. One of my best friends here at Fox is a gay producer. He walked my mother down the aisle at my wedding. Now I get to be at hers. Who his? Who has the right to tell someone who loves another person, I don't care about their gender or their sex or the color of their skin, that they have the right to spend the rest of their life with somebody they love? Brad. It's nice to see someone at Fox not towing the company line. But once again, it's another example of a right-winger only being reasonable when the topic is something they've been personally impacted by. Oh, and I'll be taking bets on whether she'll be moved to a shittier time slot or if they'll assist her on her path to new career opportunities. And our next story, Dos Puntos para Cuba. On Wednesday, President Obama announced his plans to formally reestablish diplomatic relations with Cuba this month, declaring that the two nations were ready to reopen embassies in each other's capitals and to start a new chapter of engagement after more than half a century of estrangement. More than 54 years ago, at the height of the Cold War, the United States closed its embassy in Havana. Today, I can announce that the United States has agreed to formally reestablish diplomatic relations with the Republic of Cuba and reopen embassies in our respective countries. Cuba has become the world's first country to end the transmission of HIV and syphilis from mother to child. The World Health Organization hailed what is called one of the greatest public health achievements possible, adding that it was an important step towards having an AIDS-free generation. An estimation of 1.4 million women living with HIV become pregnant each year. Untreated, they have a 15 to 45% chance of transmitting the virus to their children during pregnancy, labor, delivery, or breastfeeding. But that risk drops to just over 1% if antiviral medications are given to both mothers and children throughout the stages when infection can occur. Cuba considers its free health care a major achievement, and the PAHO and WHO credit Cuba with offering women early access to prenatal care, HIV and syphilis testings, and treatment for mothers who test positive. This is a major victory in our long fight against HIV and sexually transmitted infections. Now, if a poor little country like Cuba can accomplish this with a single-payer system, just imagine 
what a single-payer healthcare system in the richest country in the world could accomplish. On the next story, finally seeing the forest from the trees. A Memphis City Council is taking a step in the right direction, unanimously voting to remove a monument of Nathan Bedford Forrest. Forrest is infamous for a Civil War massacre of 200 surrendering Union troops and for being the first Grand Wizard of the KKK. The Memphis City Council took steps last Tuesday to begin the process of removing the monument and, in a unanimous vote, the council approved a resolution for the removal of Bedford's remains from under a statue in his honor that currently sits in Health Science Park on Union Avenue. How do you say goodbye to someone like Nathan? You shit-kicking, stinky, horseman-horse-smelling motherfucker, you! You dirty-eating piece of slime! You scum-sucking pig! You son of a motherless goat! Yeah, that's my message for you. Fuck you and kiss my ass. You're an emotional fucking cripple. Your soul is dog shit. Every single fucking thing about you is ugly. You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. I don't like your jerk-off name. I don't like your jerk-off face. I don't like your jerk-off behavior. And I don't like you, jerk-off. And our next story, the punishment should fit the crime, as long as that punishment is horrible. You always hear the old adage of the punishment should fit the crime, but I've noticed that it's only used when they want to imprison someone for life or when they want to execute someone. You never see, to quote Lee Camp, these ass-holier-than-thou supposed upholders of the law step forward to stop someone on their third strike from getting a life sentence for smoking a little weed. However, because of a travesty of justice, calls for reform are gaining traction. When Khalif Browder was 16 years old, he was unable to make a $3,000 bail on charges he stole a backpack. He ended up being held in Rikers for three years, beaten by inmates and guards alike, and held in solitary confinement for three fucking years before charges against him were eventually dropped. Three years for something that should have landed him in some community service or at the very most a week or two in the clink. And let's not forget, in addition to guaranteeing the right to an attorney, the Sixth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution guarantees a criminal defendant a speedy trial by an impartial jury. This means that criminal defendants must be brought to trial for his or her alleged crimes within a reasonable short period of time after their arrests. Three years does not sound very reasonable to me. So even though they violated Browder's rights, he was eventually released. But the damage to the 22-year-old Khalif Browder's psyche was already done, and he committed suicide last month from what I would guess to be severe PTSD from his experience. A thought just popped into my mind. I'm going to see if there's a study on prison-induced PTSD and recidivism. Here's something. All praise be to mighty Google. Post-incarceration syndrome, or PICS, is a mix of mental disorders which include institutionalized personality traits resulting from the common deprivations of incarceration, a chronic state of learned helplessness in the face of prison authorities, and antisocial defenses in dealing with a predatory inmate environment. Apparently, I was partially right, because the next symptom is post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, from both ooh, thunder, from both pre-incarceration trauma and trauma experienced within the institution. And next, antisocial personality traits, AS, 
PT, developing as a coping response to institutionalized abuse and a predatory prison environment. The next symptom, social sensory deprivation syndrome, caused by prolonged exposure to solitary confinement that radically restricts social contact and sensory stimulation. And finally, substance use disorders, caused by the use of alcohol and other drugs to manage or escape the symptoms of PICS, or post-incarceration syndrome. It would seem that some in the justice system are beginning to figure out that if you put a nonviolent offender in a place where they'll be victimized to the point of mental instability, that it's the perfect environment to change a nonviolent offender into a violent offender. Under a new plan, thousands of New Yorkers accused of low-level or nonviolent crimes won't face the prospect of raising cash for bail under a plan that seeks to keep such suspects out of the troubled Rikers Island jail complex. The $18 million city plan allows judges beginning next year to replace bail money for about 3,000 low-risk defendants with supervision options such as regular check-ins, text message reminders, and connecting them with drug and behavioral therapy. You can also just slap on an ankle bracelet if they want to make sure. Cash bail has long been criticized by inmate advocates for unfairly targeting the poor. Reforms were recommended by a mayoral task force last year after a mentally ill homeless man was unable to make $2,500 in bail for trespassing, and he died in a sweltering hot Rikers prison cell. Elizabeth Glazer, the mayoral's criminal justice coordinator, stated that, I think the basic principle is that Khalif Browder and other cases have begun to signify this need for reform in the public eye. We want to focus on flight risks to be the determining factor to decide if someone will or will not be out. And it has to be flight risk, not money. Initial funding allows for as many as 3,000 defendants charged with misdemeanors or nonviolent felonies to bypass bail, letting them live with their families and keep their jobs, which is extremely important, while their cases wind through the courts. Officials say they would like to expand non-bail options to include thousands of more people. Releasing defendants to community supervision based on so-called risk assessment tools that gauge a person's threat to the public safety is increasingly done in cities and states throughout the country. About 10% of state, county, and city courts currently use some such tools to decide if a defendant is too risky to be released or if he qualifies for some level of supervision. Washington, D.C. is also considered a model for eliminating bail though it still detains pre-trial offenders deemed too dangerous to be released back into the community, which is the way it should work. Search iTunes for Sobcast. Subscribe, give a rating and a review, and keep an eye out for Super Gorilla. And now I have a new segment because sometimes there's more news than time. It's High Cyclic News. Republican governor, oh shit, whenever a sentence starts with Republican governor, it's likely not to end well. Republican governor of Michigan, Rick Schneider, signed a law that will allow faith-based adoption agencies to cite religious beliefs as reasons not to serve potential adoptive parents. Boy, it sucks to see the state you grew up in turn redder and redder every year. You got red on you. 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 In a statement, Governor Schneider said that the new legislation is aligned with the state's existing adoption practices. However, critics of the legislation say the bill gives agencies license to discriminate against potential parents based on sexual orientation, religion, and marital status. 
while still being funded by taxpayers. The law allows agencies to deny services if they conflict with sincerely held religious beliefs. It also prohibits the state from taking any action against agencies that do so, including stripping public funds or otherwise discriminating against them. What the fuck ever happened to the separation of church and state? It's not supposed to be just a suggestion. It's the law of the land, dumbasses. Teresa Purcell was taking a commuter flight from San Diego when the agent at the gate told her it was too late for them to set up the ramp so she can board even though she let them know ahead of time that she would need the ramp. Instead, Purcell had to get off her wheelchair and crawl all the way to her seat without aid since it's against company policy to help because someone could get injured. The airline has apologized for the incident, but Purcell says that's not enough. She wants to make sure nothing like this ever happens again. Purcell's attorney wrote a letter asking for compensation, and the airline responded by saying, Thank you for your letter of demand. On behalf of Therese Purcell, American Airlines will not be issuing any compensation for your client's injury claims. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. An unarmed man was shot in the head and critically wounded by Los Angeles police officers late last month after he appeared to be flagging them down for assistance. A passerby recorded graphic video of the incident from a car and then posted it onto Twitter. The Los Angeles Police Department said the man, who was not immediately named, had a towel wrapped around his hand and the two officers believed he was concealing a weapon. Okay, place your bets now. Was the man Hispanic or black? And just in case you were wondering why I say black instead of African-American, well, it's because once I referred to a British man of African descent that I saw on TV as an African-American. So from then on, I just kept it simple as to avoid confusion. Anyways, back to the news. The man reportedly waved over the officers in their patrol car in the quiet Los Files area of Los Angeles at about 6.30 p.m., the officers got out of their vehicles, and one ordered the man to drop the gun. The officer said the man extended his arm towards the officers, probably to say something like, It's a towel, you roided up rim jobs. Since he had no weapon to drop, the police officers shot the probably perplexed man in the head. Officers later discovered the man was not carrying a weapon. I'm sure he felt vindicated by that, unless he was too busy bleeding out from the hole in his fucking head. The man who is believed to be Hispanic is in his 40s, Ding, ding, ding. If you bet black, you were wrong. And if you bet Hispanic, you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Because there are no winners in this story. The man was taken to the hospital where his condition was described as grave. I tried to look into the story further. I was able to find his name, Walter William DeLeon, but I couldn't find anything out about his condition. Whether he's alive or dead, nothing. It seems that the news has completely forgotten about him. Just out of curiosity, I wonder how often police officers are flagged down and then attacked out of the blue. If anybody finds out, send me a message at facebook.com slash sovcast, twitter.com slash seekeroveritas, that's seeker, the letter O, veritas, and sovcast.tumblr.com. Justice Anthony Kennedy on Friday provided the final word on the question of gay marriage. Americans have the right to marry someone of the same sex everywhere in the nation. But even though you supposedly have the same right as everyone else, 
if you're gay, you'd better keep your equal rights a secret, or you might just get fucking fired. That's right. Gay and lesbian Americans now can get married in all 50 states, but they still can get fired for their sexual orientation in 28 states. That doesn't sound too equal to me. So don't put away your rainbow flags just yet. There's still a long, long way to go. Police in Turkey using water cannons to disperse a gay pride event only led to an awesome photo where the mist from the water cannons make a perfect rainbow. It's like the sun was saying, fuck you, bigots. You know how the idiots on Fox News always come out after each Islamic extremist attack, caterwauling about the rest of Islam never condemns the attacks. First of all, that's bullshit. Muslims have turned in radicals, even radicals that are family members. FBI operative Craig Montel was sent to spy on Muslims as an agent provocateur, but was thrown out and reported to his handlers for extremist behavior. And now a survivor of the massacre in Tunisia has revealed local local hotel staff members. Why is it so fucking hard for me to say? And now a survivor of the massacre in Tunisia has revealed local hotel staff members formed a human shield on the beach in a heroic bid to protect tourists from the rampaging gunmen. John Yeoman, 46, said Muslim staff members from the Bellevue Hotel told the gunmen he would have to kill them first as they formed a human barricade between the shooter and the Western tourists. The chain of bodies can be seen in images taken of the killer, Sefadin Rezgui, where about a dozen men stand side by side as the gunman marches away from them carrying his Kalashnikov. To any of you out there who think that all Muslims are radical and therefore should be wiped out, first of all, you sound about as enlightened as the most vicious ISIS genocidal maniac. And second, here's something I wrote for my Tumblr blog about this time last year. Empathy, mercy, forgiveness are all integral parts of humanity. Ageless animosity has been turned to lasting peace over and over again. Even when there is a them, not all of them are them. Remember the innocent amongst the guilty. That's too much to ask, then let, to the victor goes the spoils philosophy commence, as a pitiless world burns to ash. As the nation is still mourning and mulling over the massacre at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, eight southern black churches in ten days have gone up in flames. Three of the fires have been ruled arson, one was determined to be caused by a falling branch and a faulty wiring, and the others remain under investigation. So the fast-track plan to pass the Trans-Pacific Partnership has run into a new wrinkle after an amendment passed in the Senate. Slavery. Yes, really, slavery. The Senate voted for an amendment that would make it more difficult for countries that engage in slavery to be in the TPP. And the Obama administration objected. The measure would bar governments considering to be complicit in human trafficking from receiving the economic benefits of a fast-track trade deal. Menendez, the author of the provision, has described it as a human rights protection that will prevent U.S. workers from competing with modern-day slave labor. The administration has pushed against the provision, saying it would prevent Malaysia from participating in the deal and eliminating incentives for the country to upgrade its human trafficking enforcement. Human rights advocates strongly support the language that passed the Senate, but the president argues that if the U.S. doesn't cut trade deals with these partner countries, China will, to U.S. disadvantage. 
the State Department's human trafficking analysts of Malaysia described the country as a destination, and to a lesser extent, a source and transit country for men, women, and children subjected to forced labor, and women and children subjected to sex trafficking. The department cites forced labor problems in Malaysia's palm oil industry, and nonprofit groups have noted similar abuses in the Malaysian electronics industry. The State Department reports said Malaysian public officials may profit from trafficking. The president does not want an anti-slavery position in what he calls the most progressive trade deal of all time, because it would keep a country noted for its egregious slave trade out of the treaty. We're not going to object to slavery because a country that openly engages in it might trade more with China than us. My solution to countries that still practice slavery is, you ain't got no trade if you got you some slaves. But really, folks, this whole TPP thing is doomed to disaster. The TPP will boost our economies, lowering barriers to trade and investment, increasing exports, and creating more jobs for our people, which is my number one priority. The TPP will also help achieve my goal of doubling U.S. exports, which support millions of American jobs. In a larger sense, the TPP has the potential to be a model, not only for the Asia-Pacific, but for future trade agreements. I want to thank all my fellow leaders uh, for their partnership and their commitment uh, to making the TPP a reality, uh, which will be a win for all our countries. So, uh, again, I'm confident that we can get this done. Uh, together we can uh, boost exports, uh, create more uh, goods uh, available for our consumers, create good jobs, and compete and win uh, in the markets of the future. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your outstanding work. Thank you. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Baltimore authorities are investigating after photos emerged appearing to show a sign inside the door of a policed van that read, Enjoy the ride, because we sure will. The sign appears to be referring to a police practice called a rough ride, a dark tradition of police misconduct in which suspects, seated or lying face down and in handcuffs in the back of a police wagon, are jolted and battered by an intentionally rough and bumpy ride that can cause serious injury and, in several cases, death. The photos are circulating amidst simmering tensions over a so-called rough ride that led to the death of Freddie Gray in police custody, which set up protests and riots in Baltimore this year. Prosecutors say Gray suffered a critical neck injury in April after being handcuffed and shackled, but not seatbelted, in the back of a Baltimore police transport van that made several sudden stops and turns. Six police officers have been indicted and charged connected to his death. The Lone Star Philosophy If you don't like history, just rewrite it. Social studies books for Texas public schools will minimize the importance of slavery in the Civil War and omit any mention of both Jim Crow and the Ku Klux Klan. Lessons covering the Civil War will list the reasons behind the conflict as being sectionalism, states' rights, and slavery. In that order. Which, if you looked into it, the sectionalist concerns was the right to own slaves. The states' right concern was the states' right to allow slavery. And the slavery concern was concerned with, well, assholes wanting to own other human beings. As a business insider noted, the new textbooks come five years after the State Board of Education revised the curriculum. Republican board member 
Pat Hardy stated at the time that he considered slavery a side issue of the Civil War, which leads me to the conclusion that Pat should not be connected to anything with the word education. The Texas State Board of Education making decisions about the future of education is kind of like one-ply toilet paper, or fat guys at a buffet. It's bound to be ugly, and it's sure to get messy. The nation's largest Latino advocacy group says invited every presidential candidate to the annual La Raza convention. Democrats Hillary Clinton, Martin O'Malley, and Senator Bernie Sanders all plan to appear. The Republican Party is in a lot of trouble with Latino voters. The Hispanic vote provided gigantic leads to President Barack Obama in both of his presidential elections. After 2012, some Republicans tried to reverse the downward trend. A great way to reach out to Hispanic voters would be to attend the upcoming National La Raza Convention. Can you guess how many of the 2016 Republican hopefuls will be there? Out of the 16 Republicans running for the president, not a single one plans to attend. A move to which I suspect the Hispanic voters will respond, El Partido Republicano puede comer mierda. A South Carolina man charged with fatally gunning down nine people in the black Charleston church should not have been able to buy a gun, the FBI said on Friday. FBI Director James Comey blamed paperwork delays during Dylan Roof's background check for allowing the 21-year-old to purchase the firearm used to carry out the June 17 attack on the historic Emanuel AME Church. FBI officials say South Carolina church murderer Dylan Roof was on a federal list of drug users that should have barred him from buying guns. However, the FBI examiner who was carrying out Roof's background check per his request to buy a gun on April 11th never saw Roof's March 1st arrest where he admitted to illegal drug possession. The law only required a three-day waiting period, which was not enough time for the drug background check to go through. If the wait time would have been longer, it is unlikely that Dylan Roof would have been able to purchase the handgun used in the crime. I think it's time to extend the wait period. Now, before you start bitching, be honest. If you're in such a bad situation that you can't wait more than three days to get your handgun, you need to seek police protection. Come on in. All painless is waiting. And now it's time for Hard Thrusting News. Why do I call it Hard Thrusting News? Because it's hard to find a news story where someone isn't getting fucked. You get up and howl about America and democracy. Well, a very, very heavy, uh, heavy divertation. It's hard to talk on your TV again. Fucking Bill O'Reilly sucks! Tonight's forecast, dark. Continued dark tonight. Turning to partly light in the morning. I'm Ron Burgundy. Go fuck yourselves. Hey, what's happening, man? Once again, I'm going to play you a clip from the Culture Dig podcast. Uh, this is the dope box, guys. Uh, who, who shall start us off? Go ahead. Which one are you go-aheading? Jimmer's one who's already talking. Uh, yeah, yeah, why don't you go ahead? Uh, oh, okay. Well, uh, guys, I got I to gotta tell you this, man. Being on Facebook, and for those of you who don't know, uh, the Culture Dig, Culture Dig Facebook is run by me, Buchanan, and I apologize if I post lame things, but sometimes it's just no, slow news days, man. But for the most part, I think I put some interesting things out there. But uh, every time I can, you know, like I'll get some articles from certain people post Facebook on a Facebook feed. 
Uh, other time, you know, I have other feeds I look at, other websites that I look at, whatnot. But being on Facebook this week, this past week, I should say, has been particularly daunting. And this is before Friday and the SCOTUS decision about gay marriage. I'm not going to talk about that. Now, this has to do with the Confederate flag. Boom. So my dope box about this is, hey, guys, we live in the United States of America. And if you want to have a Confederate flag belt buckle, sunscreen, uh, window darkener, flag outside your trailer, whatever, you go ahead and do that. But what you need to realize is that the rest of us have every right in the world to, A, think you're an idiot, B, think you are sorely misinformed on the historicity of that flag, and C, that you probably don't really have much say of consequence in defense of that Confederate flag. Now, but it's I'm about our culture. The his- it's about our I'm culture. not going to get into the history too much about this, ladies and gentlemen, because so many people already have. I think the Young Turks had a great little vignette trashing yeah. that. A lot of other people have as well. But, guys, you have to realize the Confederate flag, even the back then, didn't mean what you want it to mean. It's been co-opted for this subculture of rednecks, okay? And that's cool. So my best friend of rednecks, it's I don't care. But what you need to realize is that symbol, and I've long thought this, long before Dylan Roof in South Carolina shot up nine, and murdered nine people in a church that were black, okay? The Confederate flag does not have a place in popular culture. And if you want to celebrate your heritage, you know, I hate people throwing out the Nazism thing, but, you know, so if one, I'm not German at all, but one of you guys might be. Like, what if you I showed up to work with your, with your swastika belt buckle and it's just heritage? It's asinine. It's historical. People died under that flag. In fact, I once knew a guy who was part of Hitler's youth. Really cool guy. And luckily he was young enough to have been protected from the atrocities of the war. But there wasn't a day that went by where he wasn't shamed by his involvement in it. So I'm going to leave it alone with this. It has nothing to do with heritage. It's a symbol that you stubbornly cling to because you think it means going out mud bogging and hunting deer and all those things you love to do. Which no, we do in the it North. does not mean that. We it has long stood for it. Yeah, right. It has long stood for institutional racism. That is it. No questions asked. You can argue until you're blue in the face, but I will tell you this, you're wrong. Well, you heard why they brought it back when it came back into popularity was when they wanted to the outlaw fit, yeah. lynchings. It, it came back and it was led by Strom Thurmond, of all people, <laughs> way back then, who ended, up, who ended up having a half-black daughter, mind you, because he had an affair. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, all right. Uh, if, any, if either of you guys want to say anything about the Confederate flag flap, Go yeah, right ahead. I, I'll say something. Um, how about this? The Young Turks were talking about it. I mean, were they um opposed to banning the flag, or were they like what was this vignette? They're, no, no, they're about? they're more lampoon. They were lampooning, I should say. He was lampooning the uh, the misassociation of the flag with Southern heritage and history. Okay. Because so many people are like, oh, this is this is the heritage. This is, you know, my my Confederate forefathers fought, fought in that war. And it's like, yeah. no, dude, no. It's like, no. yeah, but remember for what? 
And you know, yeah, he talked yeah. about the, oh, you know, the economic myth and uh, yeah, the don't even get me started right in the myth. Civil War thing. Yeah, when I was a child, um, the house that I lived at was next to a restaurant. It was right off of a highway. And I remember the first time I saw a Confederate flag, at least that I realized, like, what is that weird-looking flag? And I asked my father, what is that? And he oh, said, it's a Confederate flag. It's how you know somebody's racist. <laughs> and where, where was this I at? Have to say, and then you watched the Dukes in, of Hand. South Hazard. Jersey, basically. Yeah, then, this, this is like South Jersey. You got confused. Yeah, no, I never, I never really saw Dukes of Hazard when I was a child. I, I never um, cared I for, I I never cared for Dukes of Hazard either, man. Yeah. Uh. But I mean, like this was like the the suburbs of Philadelphia, South Jersey area too. Like this was not okay, somewhere damn. in South Carolina. And um, uh. I gotta say, like I'm really disappointed in the response uh, to this. Like I feel like everybody, all right, we got to do something about this because there's a media story and everybody feels yeah, bad. I, I feel and, that, you, yeah. But but like Amazon. Are, are they the number one retailer in the world? Because I would imagine they are. Well, if not, Walmart, I mean, like, they're definitely the number one same. online retailer. Yeah, Walmart Yeah, Walmart uh, was first, and then Amazon. So, I mean, like, in Walmart, but they both banned Confederate flag sales, did they not? Yes, yes. So, like, yes, the, the top two retailers in the world ban the sale of something. I mean, that's as close as an institutional ban as you're going to get. And that's yeah. fine, like, on their end. I'm going to sound like a capitalist. They're a like, business. You know, like, we have... We have yeah, they're, they're businesses, they're corporations, they can do whatever they like. Yeah. But, like, it really irks me that we're going after a symbol and we're not going after people's What's patterns of thought and people's yeah. preconceptions. Like, whenever you're attacking a symbol, it means you failed. It's the same thing, like, in the, the um, 90s with, the, you know, Furman and O.J. Simpson. And we, we had the phrase arise, the N-word, because we can't say the yeah. word nigger. We have to say right. the N-word in, in mixed company. Um, same thing, like Oprah had her big campaign a few years ago to end the N word. We have the, uh, the R word campaigns and it's like, yeah, it's not a true. word. It's not a symbol. These are patterns of thought. And I hate that it's being taken out. Like if we can just get rid of every Confederate flag in the world, all of our problems will be solved. I, that's I'm like, what I'm I don't saying. know. I, I don't think that we should ban people wearing it, flying it in front of their trailers or houses or whatever. If you want to put, you know, the screen tinted windows with a rebel flag in the back of your truck to hide your fucking gun rack, I don't care. That's your thing. But what I do not want to see is that fucking flag on a capital for the government that we all pay for. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, I don't know. It, the entire thing about, like, we have to, to attack this flag, I, I feel like people in the Confederate flag lobby must have come up with this because I've heard that the, the flag sales are soaring with the anticipation say, of you, some kind of if you're, state if you're gonna be bans a, and so forth. If you're going to be a capitalist, you should just go open up your Confederate flag store. <laughs> you're going Confederate flag store uh, yeah. online. I'm sure you'd be making a killing right now, but that's... Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, they were. Once that once that dies down, it's it's going to go the way of the dodo, man. Once people heard yeah. of the ban, the sales for Confederate flags just fucking oh, I'm skyrocketed. Sure. I'm sure. It's whatever. All right. Jimmers, Jeffrey, which one of you goes, is going next? Age Before Beauty? <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that means Jeffrey. Go. Um... I would like to talk about a um, a um, quadriplegic man in Colorado, who where medical marijuana is legal and even recreational m- marijuana is legal. He um, he was fired from Dish Network for having marijuana in his system. In a state where it is completely legal to smoke marijuana for recreational purposes. Federal law. Interesting. Wow. But and this guy is. It, in serious pain from his from his uh, injuries, and uh, yeah, they don't they just don't give a fuck. 
you know, his he was having starting to have bad reactions to the painkillers he was on, and they were, you know, starting to lose their effectiveness. So he's basically only getting the bad reactions with like half the effectiveness of you know the painkillers, and and he mm. started weed, and it was like wow, no no real side effects, um, well no unpleasant side effects, but that way, <laughs> and uh, his pain was was significantly lessened, and yeah, you know, who, who who gives a fuck? I mean, why pick on a quadriplegic guy? I mean, let him have his fucking weed. What kind of job yeah, did he like, have? Didn't he want to get their asses reamed for I don't, why, why him of all people? Like you figure like that one to be like, hey, we got a positive drug report on an employee. It's that quadriplegic guy. Like you figure they would just like file right. that away and he's shut like, their mouths. He's like, yeah, who cares? <laughs> he's that he's been like through enough. Confidence. Just yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh, okay. Right. Well, that's uh, pretty. Bad yeah, I just don't like how that. the how the federal law can trump the state law when they want it to. Yeah. Oh, and did you see the, well, uh, this did, is... did you see the mm-hmm. cop raid where they, they raided a pot shop and they didn't realize they hadn't turned off all the security cameras in the pot shop and they were eating the brownies <laughs> and playing darts. Oh, and shit. <laughs> no, I never heard about this. What? Oh, wow. you should go watch the video. They're like having a good old time after, <laughs> after they raided the pot shop. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. We turned off all the videos, right? Yep. Yep, we did. <laughs> sure did. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. All right, Jammers, you're up. All right. I, this kind of touches on what everybody's talking about, and in addition to what nobody here has talked about yet, the Supreme Court decision on gay marriage. Um, you know, we have this idea in modernist philosophy, like there's such a thing as the law, and the law is just a list of rules, but we try to use the law to approximate morality, to approximate justice. And so this is why I'm worried about like uh, institutional proclamations like banning Confederate flags because like you're not actually instituting any real social change. In fact, I mean you're firing up a base which you want nothing to do with. Um, the same thing with you know like we can't decide is a paraplegic who uses medical marijuana is he justifiable? Is is he a moral person? I think most people would say so. Is he legal? Well, kind of on the state level, maybe not on the federal level. And we have this like bizarre confluence of laws and, and moral obligations that we have to um, reconcile with one another. And um, with the gay marriage thing this week, I kind of feel like it's the same thing. Like I wholeheartedly have no problem whatsoever with gay marriage. I think, you know, the practical nature of it is like I'm, I'm happy with the ruling. But they had a very good report on NPR about the dissent, which was written by the conservative justices, of course. And Chief Justice Roberts, he had a really great thing he wrote in his dissent. If you are among the many Americans of whatever sexual orientation who favor expanding same-sex marriage, by all means, celebrate today's decision. Celebrate the achievement of a desired goal. Celebrate the opportunity for a new expression of commitment to a partner. Celebrate the availability of new benefits, but do not celebrate the Constitution. It had nothing to do with it. I respectfully dissent. That was the end of his um, uh, dissent. Mm. Uh, Scalia commented similarly, basically saying that this is a kind of weird, new, bizarre interpretation of the 14th Amendment. Is this really a good um, federal decision? You know, m- maybe not so much. It may not be so much constitutional, even though the practical end is that it does something really positive. Basically, I feel like it's a lot like Obamacare. Like, is Obamacare a good idea? Probably. Is it constitutional? Almost certainly not. So uh, it's a weird rereading of the 14th Amendment. Um, I'm not sure that this is going to be really even that great long run because how many states still had not legalized gay marriage in some form or another? I think it was down to 17. 13. 13, I mean, 13 yeah. 13? 
Yeah. I mean, like Alabama had gay marriage, did they not? I mean, this is something that was just working its way across the country, even if it was going through federal appellate courts and so forth. But like it was going to happen. It had overwhelming mass support anyway. And by doing this, making this decision, yeah, it gave everybody a great day to celebrate. And they all got to use the rainbow flag filter on Facebook and the White House got the light up. And Hillary, who'd opposed gay marriage for about 30 years, got to change her logo to a rainbow for a day. Whereas um, our man Bernie Sanders has supported it since 1972. Go Which is a really good point because, yeah, did you ever hear the Terry Gross interview with Hillary where she talked about gay marriage? No. It was about a year ago, I guess. Nope. And she was talking about how, like, well, I couldn't support gay marriage for the last 20 years because nobody supported gay marriage. I'm like, there are people who supported gay marriage over uh, the last 20 years. Oh, yeah. Shut the hell out. Uh, so it's this weird revisionism. Same thing with, like, the war in Iraq. People, Well, everybody thought Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. We had to go. I'm like, no. No, they didn't. No, people, you're, this is revisionism. <laughs> So I, I think, you know, it's a great day to celebrate. Um, is it the a moral decision? Yes. Is it a, a, you know, legal decision following the letter of the Constitution? It probably is a stretch at interpretation, but so be it. Uh, okay, so you, you, you mentioned Antonin Scalia. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about this, but Slate.com did a Scalia insult generator. Have you heard about this? No. Only from you. Yeah. <laughs> Only from me. It's called the Antonin Scalia Sick Burn Generator because Scalia is number one. He's pretty far out there anyway, uh, but he's also uh-huh. known for these like overly intellectual uh, dissents, and I very much got the sense of that in reading his dissent of uh, the Supreme Court decision last Friday. But the <laughs> this uh, this generator on Slate.com is actually culled from the real true life writings of Scalia. And so I, while you guys were talking, I put in your names to this generator. Are you ready? Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. Hold on. Ready for, waiting for my Ram to catch up here. <laughs> Car Ramrod. Uh, is, that, is that a super troopers reference? Yes. Reference? Yes, it was <laughs> nice. Uh, okay. Jeff, this one is yours. Okay. One would think that Jeff sentiments are a threat to American democracy. Never mind. Ugh. All right, make, make sure to bleep out my last name, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, let me some of the... Uh, shit. What's Jimmers? I'm trying to get there. It's being super yeah, come on. fucking slow. <laughs> this is what happens you know, when you have funny, programs open. So, like, what, oh, what, is, what is the point of this? Like, it, it pulls out some text of one of his dissents or decisions that sounds, like, really dramatic. Yeah. And inserts your name in it because it's yeah. funny because he came after the decision against gay marriage for trying to sound overly dramatic and of, yeah, of histrionic exactly. historical yes, importance. He, he, he was uh, he was basically poking fun at Kennedy's majority opinion. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you're that's your thing. You're you're making fun of him for your thing. Anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, one would think that Jimmer's mindset is pure applesauce. Come on. That that makes me feel like I could go be a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> like you figure they'd be really special. Well, hey, I, this is what I was saying. Here, here's part of Scalia's dissent. I'll just read a really quick answer. But he says he's talking about like the Supreme Court itself, and he says, take for example this court, which consists of only nine men and women, all of them successful lawyers who studied at Harvard or Yale Law School. Four of the nine are natives of the, of New York City. Eight of them grew up in East and West uh, Coast states. Only one hails from the vast expanse in between. Not a single Southwesterner, or even to tell the truth, a genuine Westerner. California does not count. 
Not a single evangelical Protestant of any denomination, strikingly unrepresentative character of the body voting on today's social upheaval would be irrelevant if they were functioning as judges answering the legal question and so on. So I'm like, that's a good point. Like, this is a really not diverse court. You, you know, like we talk about um, Sotomayor, or we, yeah. th- we talk about like women on the Supreme Court, but I'm like, every single one of them is from Harvard or Yale. Yeah. Most of you them know, are from New York City. I mean, that's funny you brought that up because when this decision came out, that was actually one of the things I wanted to research myself was where these judges were from. So it's interesting that you bring yeah. it up. Uh, that yeah, they're they're basically from you know East Coast. Uh, you have Alito from New Jersey, which you'd think would be more of a liberal place, but uh, of course mm-hmm. you know it's the same place that elected Chris Christie, uh, yeah. who who just announced sure. for uh, candidacy for president. I don't know if you've heard that. Anyway, oh really? That's oh, yeah, right like for yesterday. comedy. Oh, that whole Republican field is ripe for comedy. Very true. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, and it's like uh, Bernie Sanders came out with a video. I think it was or it was an interview yesterday. Like he, he's, he really thinks he has a chance to win the White House. And I'm really beginning to, to think that, yeah, he, he might. Because if you look at that Republican field, I mean, it's just it's a comedy sketch. And then if he can just get ahead of Hillary Clinton, then yeah, he, he does really have a solid chance anyway. Sorry. That's well, if you notice there. what's that, what's that Gandhi quote, you know, first they ignore you, which they ignored Bernie Sanders. Then they fight you. Now that they're acknowledging him, they're kind of making fun of him and then you win. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Anyway, we, we just completely derailed that train of thought, but uh, yeah, the Supreme court justices don't really represent the geographical areas where they're not from very well. Uh, you know, like Jeff, Jeff and I come from Michigan, which is, uh, you know, historically been a blue state. Uh, it's gotten much more purple in the last 10 or so years. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you, you, I actually had to go, I went back and looked to see if there was a Supreme court justice from Michigan. I think there's like one, there's like one from Tennessee and, you know, for the by and large throughout, throughout the history of the Supreme court, it really is East coast dominated, uh, institution. Okay. okay. Uh, all right. I think that's going to wrap it up, guys. That's the dope box, eh? Yep. Eh. Oh, oh, and of course, speaking of eh, <laughs> all these people in the last week who said they want to move to Canada. Oh, Christ, it makes me laugh. Have you seen this? No, for what? What are you talking about? Like, because of the Supreme Court thing, they want to, they want to move to Canada because you know, we, we have gay marriage. When Is Canada's this like had a conservative gay- bastard up there? Uh, yeah, it's like Canada doesn't want you. They're socialist, and they've had gay marriage now yeah. for ten years. Ooh, yeah, they have single ridiculous. payer single payer health care too. What are you gonna do? I've thought about moving to Canada. Uh, you know, it, it does cross the mind, but but not for the reasons that uh, these people are citing. In any case, yeah. all right, that's gonna be it then, guys. That's the dope box. We've set our piece. If you haven't checked out Culture Dig yet, you really should. Just go to iTunes and search for Culture Dig, go to culturedig.com, and facebook.com slash culturedig. Marijuana and the dangers lurking in your home. A 38-year-old Kansas woman who lost custody of her 11-year-old son and faces charges that could send her to prison for 30 years over the use of medical marijuana. Shona Banda who has a severely debilitating case of Crohn's disease, now prepares for the fight of her life. One that her attorney is hoping will not just keep her client out of prison and restore custody of her child, but one that she hopes will cripple absurd, archaic, and outdated marijuana laws that should have been changed decades ago. 
Banda had been suffering from what she calls a terminal case of Crohn's disease for nearly a decade. Crohn's is a chronic bowel disease that causes inflammation of the intestinal tract and produces an intestine that can no longer adequately absorb food and water. This can result in mild to severe diarrhea, abdominal cramping, blood loss, and anemia, as well as joint pain and swelling. I've even heard of people with Crohn's having to have sections of their dead bowels cut out. It's no joke. Banda says she was bedridden and walking with a cane for help due to the severity of the joint pain she was experiencing. Banda's attorney, Sarah Swain, commented that to combat the disease, Banda had numerous surgeries, long hospital stays, difficult recoveries, and dozens of prescription medications that she was forced to take daily. And even with all of that, she was barely functioning, barely living. If we were to place her disease on a spectrum, I would place it on the far end as something that could have killed her, and I believe very strongly still could, Swain said. If the end result of this case is that she's sent to prison, I believe there's a real chance that this is the equivalent of a death sentence. Desperate for an effective treatment, Banda began looking outside of traditional medicine after watching a documentary about the benefits of cannabis oil. Banda says she started to make her own cannabis oil in her kitchen and would consume it around meals. Literally within days, her Crohn's was in full remission, Swain said, and after several months of continued treatment, her health had improved so dramatically that she considered herself cured from Crohn's disease. I'm not on my deathbed. I'm working for the first time in four years. I'm hiking. I'm swimming. I'm able to play with my kids. I'm able to do things. I love it, Banda said on her YouTube video. Banda was public about her health crisis as well as her use of medical marijuana and detailed it in a 2010 memoir, Live Free or Die, which she recounts her brutal battle with Crohn's disease. She also recorded a YouTube video the same year her book was published to help further spread her message about the medical benefits of cannabis. When you decide to take your life into your own hands and realize that you can do this with a $50 machine a $5 spatula, and a plant you can grow for free in your backyard, you realize you can do this, and it's awesome, Banda said in a YouTube video. This stuff is amazing and miraculous. Banda made no secret about her cannabis oil use to her two children, 11 and 18, and they watched firsthand for years as her mother's strength and health returned as she continued to self-medicate. That's why, during a March 24th drug and alcohol education presentation at Banda's 11-year-old son's school in Garden City, Kansas, her son pushed back against some of the information he was being told about marijuana dangers. It just didn't ring true from his personal experience. So he raised his hand and essentially said, No, that's not accurate. But his nuanced understanding of the plant inadvertently set in motion a series of events that would turn his family's life upside down. Banda's son was quickly called into the principal's office, where the fifth grader was questioned at length about his mother's marijuana use. Swain said, That meeting triggered a call to Child Protective Services. The agency notified law enforcement, which obtained a warrant, and then searched Banda's home shortly thereafter. Inside Banda's home, police found a little more than one pound of marijuana, along with equipment Banda had been using to manufacture her cannabis oil in the kitchen. They also found various items related to ingesting marijuana throughout the house that tested positive for THC, the main psychoactive ingredient found in marijuana associated with the high sensation and well-known for its medicinal properties. The police also said that the items taken from the house were within easy reach of children. 
at which point her child ate some yogurt mixed with eight tablespoons of nutmeg, went to the liquor cabinet, moved the loaded revolver that's kept there, took a swig of tequila, and then offered some to the officers, then went to the medicine cabinet, drank some cough syrup, and got one Vicodin for him and one for an officer with a sore back. After that, he ran around the house with a friend playing tag with a spoon in his mouth, asked the officers if Drano was safe to drink, played hopscotch on the staircase, put on a show for the officers by juggling a butcher knife, a hammer, a hatchet, and finally he went to the garden and watered one of the only things on the property that could never, ever, ever kill him. The cannabis plants. But before he went back inside, he ate a bunch of morning glory seeds. At this point, he was so thirsty that he chugged two one-gallon jugs of water and promptly died of water intoxication. I am, of course, kidding, but hopefully you get my point. If not, stick the headphones or speakers up your ass so the sound can get to your ears. Banda's son was immediately removed from her custody and placed in state custody where he remains. He has been temporarily placed with Banda's husband, from whom she is separated. Banda faces a maximum of 30 years in prison, an extreme sentence that has outraged advocates for reforming the prohibition policies in states like Kansas. Swain says she is prepared to take Banda's case every step of the way to achieve these goals, including before the Supreme Court, if that's what it takes. She went on to say, too many people are being forced to choose between dying or violating a law and facing going to prison. It's totally unacceptable. It's time to end these absurd, archaic, and outdated marijuana laws that should have been changed decades ago. And our next story, Historical Hysteria of the Symbol-Minded Racist. Boy, Fox News loves to trot out black guys to say the things they would love to say but can't. This time it's... Mm, it's... Uh, I can't seem to find his name, but I think it was Tom. And I think he was somebody's uncle. And um, I remember something about a house in Nigeria. Oh, no, wait, wait. Here it is. His name is Kevin Jackson, and it turns out he's from Tampa, Florida. Boy, was I off. And I wonder what your thoughts are from the Alabama governor and the South Carolina governor. Mississippi is considering this as is Arkansas right now. Well, let's hope that it eradicates racism, uh, Martha. I mean, that's essentially what the left is after. You know, they never give up anything. This is such a red herring that, that takes away from the real issue that liberals created this kid that shot up this church. And South Carolina did what America does, which is they responded by saying, we're a family. We're not going to buy into this nonsense of it being... Uh, you it may have been racially motivated, but we're not racially motivated here. So, you know, the, the blaming the flag is ridiculous. It's not going to do anything. And in fact, I think it's a, it's a silly thing to do because what, we're, what essentially the left is trying to say is let's eradicate history. If ever history doesn't fit the narrative that we want, let's get rid of it. It's an interesting argument. Now, the whole taking down the flag is trying to cover up history is utter nonsense and is, at best, ignorant parroting of talking points and, at worst, purposely misleading. You see, I can go and look up in history books and online the Rwandan flag from the 1994 genocide, the Nazi flag, the apartheid flags of Rhodesia and South Africa, the flag of the Khmer Rouge, the emblems of the Bosnian Serb army, the Janjaweed military flag, the flag of ISIS, etc., etc. Now, now I know what all these flags look like. I do not, nor do I ever want to see them flying high under a blue sky. 
but I have been made many times to witness the horribly racist Confederate battle flag in Brandon, Florida. The self-proclaimed world's largest Confederate battle flag is 50 foot by 30 foot and rests on a pole tall enough that the vile symbol can be seen for miles away on the interstate and surrounding communities. Now, I've learned a lot about the Civil War from history classes and documentaries on the History Channel. I know the history that the Confederate battle flag stands for, including its use by the KKK, and have known so for many, many years, before my eyes were ever accosted by the abhorrent thing. It flying high does not inform me of any new historical facts. It only informs me that there are still many who cling to the outdated racism it stands for. Racism that belongs only as a cautionary curiosity in history shows, books, and museums. These same history shows, books, and museums should be the final resting place for this abomination of a flag, so we never need to suffer it to block one photon of sunlight ever again. As long as you're not a racist piece of shit, it's time to pick a new symbol, people. You could try what we do in the North. Pick your favorite local team and fly their flag. That way, everyone will not only know you're a proud Southerner, but they'll be able to see your particular Southern state pride. Or we could just forgo symbols and all the dick and flag waving, like George Carlin said. I consider them to be symbols, and I leave symbols to the symbol-minded. Now it's time for elementary graduate. The joke here is, if you came out of the elementary canal, it means you're a piece of shit. By Dennis Leary. Our first co-pieces of shit are the dishonorable judges Horacio Piombo and Ramon Sal Yargis. A convicted child sex offender's prison sentence in Argentina was cut nearly in half from six years to three years and two months because judges say the six-year-old victim was and I quote, used to being abused. Mario Tolosa, manager of a soccer team for children in Vicente Lopez in Buenos Aires, was originally sentenced in April 2012. The victim, whose identity has not been released due to his age, was six years old when Tolosa took him to a restroom during a soccer match and molested him. When the child got home, he told his grandmother what happened and she reported it to the police. Judges Horacio Piombo and Ramon Salyarguez' reasoning behind Mario Tolosa's reduced sentence was stated as follows. It is clear, even though this translation is unclear, that the minor's sexual choice spoiled at a young age due to the large testimonies of people close to him has already been made according to reports about the recurrence of the offer and transvestism. Translation, since the identified child was gay, the abuse wasn't as bad as if he weren't. These assertions are totally illogical and with just the tiniest bit of thought falls flat on its face. 
Just replace old guy with six-year-old boy with old guy with six-year-old girl. Apply the same exact logic of, well, girls like dudes, so it's not that bad. And you see how blatantly idiotic and bigoted these piece of shit judges are. In a phone interview, Esteban Polan, president of the Argentina LGBT Federation, said that the fact that the victim is presumed gay makes a huge difference and could set a horrible precedence. Due to the kid's apparent sexual condition, the sexual abuse wasn't declared as aggravated, and therefore a lighter sentence was passed. The ruling, Paulin added, treats the victim as if he were somehow partially to blame. The Argentina LGBT Federation is teaming up with other organizations and influential people in Argentina to demand that the judges in charge of the case undergo a political trial. Next, Donald Trump is a racist, bigoted, four-time financially and full-time morally bankrupt piece of shit. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. You assume? This time your assumption just makes an ass out of you. Me? I assume that most people are good, and as numerous studies over the past hundred years have shown, immigrants are less likely to commit crimes or be behind bars than the native-born, and high rates of immigration are not associated with high rates of crime. This holds true for both legal immigrants and the undocumented, regardless of their country of origin or level of education. And what does Trump get for his blatantly racist remarks? Well, due to the fact that the GOP voters are the most bigoted group in America, Trump has taken the lead in the Republican presidential primary. I can hear a few hamster wheels squeaking away, but I thought the KKK and the neo-Nazis were the most bigoted groups in America. True, but riddle me this. Do you really think the KKK and the neo-Nazi members vote for the Democratic Party? So the piece of shit, Trump, is now top of the pile. But just remember that every rain cloud has a silver lining. Or at the very least, there's a chance some asshole might get struck by lightning. NBC is ending its relationship with Trump, canceling his reality TV show The Apprentice, and both NBC and the Spanish-language Univision TV network said they will no longer air his Miss USA or Miss Universe pageants, and he has lost tons of sponsorship deals and you know store clothing lines bailed on him so hopefully he gets what he deserves and not the presidency of the united states jeb bush is living up to the family name for he is a piece of shit governor you mentioned uh, taxes and lowering them you have a Anything flat tax or anything specific? We're working on a strategy to that's under, I'd say, the my aspiration for the country, and I believe we can achieve it, is 4% growth as far as the eye can see, which means we have to be a lot more productive. Workforce participation has to rise from its all-time modern lows. means that um, people need to work longer hours and and through their productivity, gain more income for their families. That's the only way we're going to get out of this rut that we're in. 
2014 Gallup poll found that many Americans employed full-time report working on average 47 hours a week, while nearly 4 to 10% say they work at least 50 hours a week. U.S. workers toil more hours than workers in any other large industrialized country, according to Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. In fact, in 2013, Robert Reich wrote that since 1979, the nation's productivity has risen 65%, but workers' medium compensation has increased by just 8%. So where'd the difference go? Almost all the gains from growth have gone to the top. Using research from Credit Suisse and Forbes' annual billionaire list, an anti-poverty charity was able to determine that the richest 1% of the world's population currently controls 48% of the world's total wealth. If trends continue, Oxfam predicts that the most affluent will possess more wealth than the remaining 99% by 2016. Not that far away, folks. The whole thing about Bush and people working long hours is triggering a bit of a Bush flashback. There's a certain comfort to know that the promises made will be kept by the government. You don't have to worry. That's good because I work three jobs and I feel like I contribute. You work three jobs? Three jobs, yes. Uniquely American, isn't it? I mean, that is fantastic that you're yeah. doing that. Thank you. you. get any sleep? If I had a dick, this is where I'd tell you to suck it. And our next contestant is legally a piece of shit. Oakland County Circuit Judge Lisa Gorsica. Gorsica sentenced three children to juvenile detention until age 18 for refusing to have a relationship with their father. In a ruling that's flat out bizarre, a judge sentenced three kids 15, 10, and 9 to a juvenile detention facility for being in contempt of court for refusing to go to lunch with their father. The kids were punished for not submitting to the judge's demands that they foster a healthy relationship with their dad. The judge told the eldest child in court during the latest episode in a bitter family feud that has included allegations of abuse and fear of parental kidnapping that there is no reason why you do not have a relationship with your father. Your father has never been charged with anything. Your father has never been convicted of anything. Your father doesn't have a personal protection order against him. You, young man, have got it wrong. I think your father is a great man who has gone through hoops for you to have a relationship with him. When all the kids remained resistant, Gorsica ruled them in contempt and sent them to Children's Village Juvenile Detention Center until age 18. The trio has reportedly since been separated from each other as well as from both of their parents who aren't even allowed to visit. This judge is fucking insane. With the emotional damage such a sentence and separation is likely to cause, the chances these kids will end up well-adjusted, happy, productive members of society plummets. Let me reiterate that the children's ages are 15, 10, and 9. If they serve a full sentence of until their 18th birthday, that's a sentence of 3, 8, and 9 years respective in a juvenile detention center. Early in the show, I talked about PISC, or post-incarceration syndrome. Does anyone think these kids who have essentially just pissed off an egomaniacal piece of shit judge really deserve this? Attorney Henry Gornbin, who has represented the mother 
Ibshit Simone in the past during her bitter five-year divorce saga and custody battle with her ex-husband stated that in his 45 years of experience practicing, he has never heard of such a contempt of court ruling for children during a family hearing. This has been a high-conflict divorce, he said, a very nasty conflict from the get-go that has obviously spun out of control. It's highly unusual, he adds. I've seen cases where you might threaten or sentence a parent for refusing to comply with a judge's order, but I've never heard of a case where children themselves were incarcerated. This is bizarre. He went on to say, Juvenile Hall is akin to incarceration. They'll probably be in a low threshold area and hopefully not exposed to anything that would put them at risk. But the kids will be housed among other kids under 18 who have been sent there for committing real crimes. The children, who have been held in detention for over three weeks now, don't even have a review hearing until September 8. I hope the children are released before any permanent damage is done to their psyche, and I'd like to see both sets of parents sue the shit out of this piece of shit judge. And as far as visitation rights go, you can order the mother to let the father visit with the children, but if the children aren't ready, they really shouldn't be forced. Unless the father did something horrible, then the kids should eventually come around on the idea of seeing him. Just in case you didn't know, Ted Cruz is a piece of shit. Uh, the 2000 election, you had a big role in the recount. We covered it. It was the best thing I ever covered. I never liked covering anything like the recount. But you bring the Supreme Court in, which you were happy to, as, a, as a lover of the Supreme Court then. You brought them in. They basically said the state lost its rights to recount and keep writing because of equal protection. Now, now, on the issue of marriage equality, you say no equal protection. Leave the states alone. So how do you be consistent there? Are you consistent or inconsistent uh, yeah, on I, equal protection? I, listen, I believe I'm very, very consistent. One of the things I describe in the book is how I've spent my entire adult life fighting to defend the Constitution. It's been a passion. And the court. Li- literally since and I was Supreme a teenager. And the Supreme Court. You've always been pro-Supreme Court I, well, until now. I, I revere the court. As yeah. you know, I was okay. a law clerk to Chief Justice Rehnquist. It's in the book. If, if unelected judges are going to seize every major policy issue yeah. of this country, you know, there was a time... They when seized li- the presidency in 2000. You did not complain. Well, the Supreme Court said no to the state of Florida. You can't recount, even though it's a close election. You are not allowed to recount. We're giving this to our guy, five to four Republican vote in the Supreme Court. If there was ever a case of partisanship or ideology getting out of hand, it was 2000, and you loved it. You Chris, loved it. You Chris, were cheering, you say, th- in the book. Th- those are great talking points. But they're true. Okay. I just think it's a case of states' rights, which you usually champion, and, and equal protection, which is the first time in the history Republicans champion equal protection, and then have lost interest in it now that it's a question of marriage equality. In other words, and I say this in the nicest way possible with all due respect, Ted Cruz is a hypocritical, degenerate, duplicitous, dickheaded dollop of dog do. And Chris Matthews, it is rare that I would say this to you, but excellent job. David Barton is an ass-holier-than-thou piece of shit. David Barton, a Koch Brothers-backed Tea Party activist, went on Kenneth Copeland's Believer's Voice of Victory and argued that God is against... Well, just take a listen. Retirement is not a biblical concept. No, it is not. That is a pagan concept that comes from the Babylonian system. If you want to live in Egypt, you want to live in Babylon, great, retire. 
And one of the things I've always believed is Deuteronomy 6.24 says, everything I tell you is for your benefit, that you can enjoy a long life, that you can prosper. And so if we see something in the way of statistics or science that shows that we don't have a long life, that will diminish our life, then we know that's not part of what God wanted us to do. And there's a reason behind it. And there's a reason behind it. And the statistics indicate that whatever that is, is not God's plan for you, because what He plans for you is long life, prosperity, etc. The average length of time that a person lives after they retire is 2.4 years. Because what they do is, I am so looking forward to quitting and doing nothing. I am so looking forward to finally having... Your body says, oh, you want to do nothing? Great. Let's just shut down. Let's just quit. Let's, let's just quit. Yeah. And so God did not design us for retirement. He did not design us to quit being productive. And when you start doing things that go contrary to what he designed us for, it always gets bad results. Of course you don't believe in retirement because your job of preaching and giving speeches is easy and comfortable and is monetarily and mentally rewarding. But if you possessed a shred of empathy, you'd realize that some people's jobs are physically demanding and or mentally unhealthy, and that when you reach a certain age, many jobs become increasingly intolerable. And the whole dying a couple of years after retirement is bullshit. The age that someone can retire in America and get full Social Security benefits is 66, which means... The average person will live about nine years after retirement, and an affluent person will live on average 13 years, which, if you asked me, still kind of sucks, but that seems to have more to do with our for-profit healthcare system and bans on stem cell therapies. But anyways, it's definitely not the couple of years like this jackass is saying. And our last piece of shit is Mohammed Youssef Abdulaziz. Four United States Marines were killed after a gunman opened fire at two military facilities. And the federal authorities said they were investigating the episode as an act of domestic terrorism. The gunman, identified by the Federal Bureau of Investigation as Mohammed Youssef Abdulaziz, 24, was also killed and several others, including a police officer and a Marine Corps recruiter, were wounded. I'm sure I'll have more about this story next time, but for now, I'd like to wait for a time when there are more facts and less conjecture. And now it's time for Oedipal Earth. Don't frack my mother. Don't frack my mother. Your mother gets all hot and bothered every time I drill her. ExxonMobil, the world's biggest oil company, knew as early as 1981 of climate change seven years before it became a public issue according to a newly discovered email from one of the firm's own scientists. Despite this, the firm spent millions over the next 27 years to promote climate change denial. The email from Exxon's in-house climate expert provides evidence that the company was aware of this connection between fossil fuels and climate change and the potential for carbon-cutting regulations to hurt its bottom line over a generation ago. 
Factoring that knowledge into its decision about an enormous gas field in Southeast Asia, the field off the coast of Indonesia would have been the single largest source of global warming pollution at the time. Exxon first got interested in climate change in 1981 because it was seeking to develop the Natuna gas field off Indonesia. I wonder if they called it Natuna because once Exxon was done poisoning the water, there would be Natuna. Anyways, Lenny Bernstein, a 30-year-old industry veteran and Exxon's former in-house climate expert, wrote in the email, This is an immense reserve of natural gas, but it's 70% CO2, or carbon dioxide, the main driver of climate change. However, Exxon's public position was marked by a continued refusal to acknowledge the dangers of climate change. Exxon spent more than $30 million on think tanks and researchers that promoted climate change denial. Perpetuating climate change denial, regardless of its inevitable transparency, $30 million. Recovering less than 10% of the oil spilled by the Exxon Valdez, $2 billion. Paying off enough corrupt politicians so you can tax dodge and then get massive government subsidies, priceless. Because, after all, the earth is priceless even though we found a bunch of people dumb enough and greedy enough to sell it to us at low, low prices. And now it's time for my science, history, and technology segment I call Cool Shit. This time, I'll tell you about big changes on the horizon for dentistry and scary shit that ate us. In our first story, Seeker of Tooth. You get that? I'm Seeker of Truth. After recently needing to undergo a couple of root canals, here's my PSA to anyone who practices martial arts or other contact sports and powerlifters. Wear your mouthpiece. All it takes is a little crack or chip, and the bacteria in your mouth will colonize your tooth and eat that shit from the inside out. Ew, seriously? That is so gross. Oh, and if you're teaching your wife how to do a face stomp, she will inevitably stomp your face while you're still in the middle of explaining how to do the move, and your mouth is open, and your teeth will smash together. Ah! Well, anyways, as the dentist was drilling holes in my face, I started wondering, hey... Didn't I hear about some British scientists growing back teeth using stem cells? So, as I was writing today's show and thinking about what to have for cool shit, I remembered that I forgot about the whole regrowing teeth from a couple of months ago, and, um, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, teeth. Back in 2013, research, published in the Journal of Dental Research and led by Professor Paul Sharp, an expert in craniofacial development and stem cell biology at King's College, London's Dental Institute, wow, describes an important preliminary step towards the development of this method by sourcing the required stem cells from patients' own gum. Boy, speaking of teeth, that was a mouthful. Research towards producing bioengineered teeth, also called bioteeth, aims to grow new and natural teeth by employing stem cell technology, which generates immature teeth, teeth primordia, that mimic those in the embryo. 
These can be transplanted as stem cell pellets into the adult jaw to develop into functional teeth given the right circumstances and programming. Programming? Ah, uh, yes. Excuse me, doctor. But are these Windows, Linux, or Mac teeth? Despite the very different environments, embryonic teeth primordia were found to develop normally in the adult mouth. What is required is the identification of adult sources of human epithelial and mesenchymal, or stem cells, that can be obtained in sufficient numbers to make biotooth formation a viable alternative to dental implants. Now that the research has successfully isolated adult human gum tissue from patients at the Dental Institute at King's College London and use this to get epithelial stem cells, these adult stem cells could then be combined with the embryonic stem cells of mice that form teeth and transplant this combination of cells into mice. The researchers were able to grow hybrid human mouse teeth containing dentine and enamel as well as viable roots. Epithelial cells derived from adult human gum tissue are also capable of responding to tooth-inducing signals from embryonic tooth mesenchyme in an appropriate way to contribute to tooth crown or root formation following in vitro culture. But wait! Hold the presses! We have a new contender! I could have been a contender! Dr. Jeremy Mao, the Edward V. Zagario, Professor of Dental Medicine at the Columbia University Medical Center has unveiled a growth factor infused three-dimensional scaffold with the potential to regenerate an anatomically correct tooth in just nine weeks from implantation. By using a procedure developed in the university's tissue engineering and regenerative medicine laboratory, Dr. Mao can direct the body's own stem cells toward the scaffold, which is made of natural materials. Once the stem cells have colonized the scaffold, a tooth can grow in the socket and then merge with the surrounding tissue. You know you have some serious ADD when the whole time you're reading something so cool, you can't stop thinking, I wonder if Dr. Mao is a member of some kind of university board, maybe even the chairman. Dr. Mao's technique not only eliminates the need to grow teeth in a petri dish, or a mouse, but is also the first to achieve regeneration of anatomically correct teeth by using the body's own resources, factor in the faster recovery time and the comparatively natural process of regrowth as opposed to implantation, and you have a massively appealing dental treatment. Columbia University has already filed patents applications in regard to the technology and is seeking associates to aid in its commercialization. In the meantime, Dr. Mao is considering the best approach for applying his technique to cost-effective clinical therapies. In closing, I'd like to say, hurry, hurry, hurry! My girl's been jacked up plenty, and I really need this technology, and so do a lot of other people. Bad teeth, while leading to the obvious pain, can also lead to maxilla and mandible or jawbone infections. It can also lead to septicemia or blood infections, which can all too easily lead to quick and unexpected death. I feel happy! I feel happy! Stem cell therapies... 3D bioprinting are the very near future of medicine. However, we just might need to crack a few Bible-pandering politician pates to clear the way. And our next story, Scary Shit That Ate Us, Part 1. Hasts, the last eagle you'd be likely to see. The Hast eagle, Harpagornus mori, 
is an extinct species of eagle that once lived in the South Island of New Zealand, commonly accepted to be the Powakai of Maori legend. The species was the largest eagle known to have existed. Its primary prey was suspected to consist of moa, a 12-foot-tall, 510-pound flightless bird, making even a large human an easy target. Past eagles became extinct around 1400 when the Maori people hunted its major food source, the moa, to extinction and cleared much of its dense forest habitat. Hass eagles were once the largest known true raptor. Female eagles were significantly larger than males. A comparison to living eagles of the Australasian region result in an estimated mass in Hass eagles of 25 pounds for males and 31 pounds for females. One source estimated the largest females could have scaled more than 36 pounds. They have a relatively short wingspan for their size. It is estimated that the grown female's wings span up to 9.8 feet. Hast's eagles preyed on large, flightless bird species, including, including the moa, which was up to 15 times the weight of the eagle. It is estimated to have attacked at speeds of up to 50 miles per hour. Its size and weight indicated a bodily strike force equivalent to a cinder block falling from the top of an eight-story building. And remember, those cinder blocks had knives attached to them, or talons. Its large beak also could be used to rip into the internal organs of its prey, and then death from blood loss would soon follow. The talons of the Hass eagle were similar in length to those of the harpy eagle, with a front talon length of 1.93 to 2.42 inches, and a hollux claw of up to 4.3 inches. Compare that to the 3 to 4 inch long claws of the grizzly, the 2 inch claws of the polar bear, and the 4 inch long claws of the Siberian tiger, which has the largest claws of any big cat species. It is believed that these birds are described in many legends of the Maori under the name Pauakai, Hokioi, or Hakawai. According to an account given to Sir George Gray, an early governor of New Zealand, Hokaioi were huge black and white predators with a red crest and yellow green tinged wingtips. In some Maori legends, Powakai killed humans, which scientists believe could have been possible if the name relates to the Hast eagle, given the massive size and strength of the bird. Even smaller golden eagles are capable of killing prey as big as a sika deer or a bear cub. By Edward Hill. And now it's time for Darwin Weeps. Stories about dumb people that would make Darwin weep for the future of our species. Eat Smart. A report from Avon Longitudinal Study of Parents and Children. Diets high in processed food and fat lowers children's IQs. This is another way that inequity gets passed down from generation to generation. Folks with less means can't afford healthy food and keep buying poor quality food for their kids. Those children will turn out to have lower IQs and may face more challenges in life. Now keep this study in mind and listen to this. My name is Mark, I'm 20 years old, and I'm in a relationship with 15 inflatable animals. My inflatables are the funnest creatures I have to hang out with in my life. I'll eat with them. Wait, you want my food? Do this your own. Watch TV together. Be fine, I'll find a show you like. If I bathe my inflatables, it's good sure. Snap. I do take my inflatables out swimming. 
Mark's addiction to inflatables began six years ago when he purchased a whale for his pool. Since then, the 20-year-old college student has added 14 animals to his inflatable family and even prefers them over people. The thing about inflatable pool toys I love is that they're soft, they're cuddly. The bigger they are, the better they are. Kind of means there's more to love. And it's really nice to have somebody to talk to. No, Sammy, you don't get any of my soda, okay? When I first found out about Mark's inflatables, um, I thought, that's strange, or how can you be into something that's not really real? Mark first turned to inflatables for love and affection when he was 14 years old. My mother really wasn't there for me when I was a child. First time I hugged my inflatable whale, I actually started feeling all that love and compassion that I never got from my mother. Now he's so dependent on his inflatables, he can't be separated from them for more than a day. When I'm at school, when I start missing them, and it's almost like if I'm going a little bit crazy. Hey, Charlie. Once I go home, basically give him a hug, give him a kiss, spend like family time together. Okay, we can talk more about you if we want. Let's say every one of my inflatables has a different personality. A little down today, don't you? Some like different types of music, some don't. Some like to just be lazy and sleep all day. I would say they get along together pretty well. <laughs> Man, you are one pathetic loser. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> no, none taken. <laughs> now, they never showed a blow-up sex doll, but I bet the odds are about 100%. Either that or his inflatable orca has a blowhole. Next story, Trapped in the Net. In the latest example of the country's troubling obsession with the virtual world, a 20-year-old named only as Mr. Zhai collapsed onto the pavement outside an internet cafe in China. When paramedics arrived to take the goggle-eyed man to the hospital, he reportedly told them, Leave me alone and turn on the computer for me. I want to surf the net. Mrs. Wang, a cleaning lady at the cafe, said she had seen the young man stagger out of the building following a two-week online binge during which he had chain-smoked, repeatedly dodged showers, and eaten almost nothing. He told me that he was feeling a little dizzy and hadn't eaten for a day and that he would go out to get some food. She went on to say he couldn't stand up on his own, so I helped him. He was quite smelly by then. Mr. Zhai then collapsed into a heap on the ground outside. China now has 649 million internet users, according to the government's figures, but also has an estimated 24 million internet addicts, many of them teens. Earlier this year, a teenager from Jiangsu province was reported to have chopped off his hand in an attempt to cure his addiction. Holy shit. Dao Ran, who runs a famous Beijing boot camp, for internet-obsessed teens said such tactics would not work. I fear he will become addicted again. I hope the teen eventually tries a new tactic, because with this current tactic he's using, he only has another three chances, as long as he can type with his feet. Mr. Jia told reporters he had run away from home after being hooked on online role-playing games, including World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft? World... Bob, I'm Baba Watas. World of Warcraft. He went on to say, I found confidence in this virtual world. 
I predict the guy won't find a life until the internet has interactive smell sampling and reproduction capabilities. At least it would force this guy to take a shower, and it would also hopefully stop people from tweeting in the bathroom. And now, they're not important, but they are funny, weird, entertaining, or at least good enough to make it into the news. It's not, not noteworthy news. Our first story, orale schmucks. A group of men barricaded a gay pride parade wearing Jewish prayer garments and holding up anti-gay signs. Although the men were holding signs reading Judaism prohibits homosexuality with the logo of the Jewish Political Action Committee, the men were clearly Hispanic. They were Mexican day laborers protesting because they were paid to protest. An actual member of the Jewish Political Action Committee readily admitted that they paid the protesters and claimed they were filling in for younger men who would normally do the protesting. The rabbis said that the Shiva boys shouldn't come out for this because of what they would see at the parade. Interesting Freudian slip in my mind. The rabbis are worried about the Yeshiva boys coming out at a gay pride parade. Interesting. Our next story, I thought Portland was a nice city. Who knew there were so many dicks? A specter is haunting Portland. The specter of dildos. Hundreds of dildos have recently started appearing on city power lines, prompting numerous complaints to the city and several delighted Twitter posts. Wait, dildos still exist? Man-made extinctions have even happened before. I guess we hunted the dildo into extinction. Um, uh, but... But fear not, penile periled Portlanders, because officials say the synthetic schlongs pose no immediate threat. The spokesman for Public Utilities Portland General Electric said he did not believe the rubber products posed a fire hazard. Still, area power companies would prefer you didn't use their lines to drape dangling dastardly dildos. The temptation may be there for tittering, a Pacific Power spokesman told the Oregonian, but we want to keep the lines as safe as possible. Yeah, and what about the children? One look at the phony fat fella phalluses. Once they reach their teens, there'll be a lot of length let down luckless lads and ladies. And another news of a nitwit nature. The terror of a gay pride parade horrified CNN news anchors, but plugged a hole in a slow news day. On Saturday, during coverage of a gay rights rally, CNN ran a segment with an alarming message. According to the Chiron, on the bottom of the screen, ISIS flag spotted at gay pride parade. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. This just in to CNN, an unnerving sight today at a London gay pride celebration, an ISIS flag among a sea of rainbow colors. CNN International Simon editor spotted the flag and was able to snap these pictures. When all of a sudden this man, quite distinctive from the rest of the crowd, he was dressed in black and white, whereas everyone else was brightly colored, as you can see from the photos. This man dressed in black and white 
was waving what appears to be a very bad mimicry, but a very clearly a clear attempt to mimic the ISIS flag, the black and white flag with the distinctive lettering. I mean, if you look at the flag closely, mm. it's clearly not Arabic. In fact, it looks like it could be gobbledygook. Um, but it's very distinctive, the ISIS flag. No, it's not gobbledygook, but it can lead to a form of Santorum. Look up Santorum on UrbanDictionary.com, if you dare. Have you guys figured it out yet? It's dildos. The writing on the flag is made up of dildos and butt plugs. Anyway, I seem to be the only person who has spotted this. Um, And nobody seems to be raising any questions or pointing it out. So I immediately went to an event organizer who said he didn't know anything about it. Oh, the innocence of idiocy. That's it for our show today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Hopefully, we'll do it again together real soon. In the meantime, I am Jeff. I am a seeker of Veritas. Check out my Tumblr page at sovcast.tumblr.com. That's S-O-V-C-A-S-T.tumblr.com. Thank you.